Welcome to the Racisms Podcast. We're your hosts, Jazlyn and Lisa. We decided that this world could use more cross-cultural conversations that seek healing over division, understanding over ignorance, and a better world overall. Welcome back to the Racism Podcast, where we have cross-cultural conversations to make this world a better place. I'm Lisa, co-host of the podcast with Jaslyn. Hey guys. Today we're going to be talking about my reflections and journaling along with the book, Me and White Supremacy, uh, or hashtag Moz, by Layla F. Saad. This book was published in January 2020 and was originally a series on her Instagram page where she used the hashtag me and white supremacy. Uh, And it was a 28 day challenge where she provided prompts and her followers posted their responses or did them on uh, their own. In her book, she provides the same journaling and self-reflection prompts geared toward white readers and also added more historical and cultural context. I read this book in October of 2020 and blogged my responses to her prompts. If you'd like to read it, it's on our blog, racismspodcast.wordpress.com. In this episode, I wanted to discuss the book and maybe dive deeper into my responses with Jaslyn. I certainly welcome feedback. I welcome being called out if I say or think something uh, that is wrong. And I see this as part of my journey uh, from really not knowing or being or being just or hiding from certain things and really being shown them. Yes. um, Looking forward to this conversation, Lisa. You did a lot of work, especially on the blog and looking forward to hearing what you've learned. Great. So I wanted to first start off about why I wasn't engaged um, in the work, you know, the work of looking into myself, uh, looking at the systems that are in place, uh, white supremacy being one of the systems. Um, And I, you know, thought, as I'm sure a lot of people might uh, think as well is that oh the problem's too big for me you know white uh, white supremacy white supremacy and racism are too big of an uh subjects for me to tackle you know what can i do as just one person uh i would think things like oh it's just the way it is or that you know people aren't racist you know it, it wasn't happening to me so why should i care um and i also thought that because I have experienced racism as an Asian American, then I should get a pass, kind of. Like, I don't need to get involved because, you know, I'm one of the victims. And, you know, I don't always feel accepted in white spaces, so don't I get a pass? I don't need to do the work, right? Um, But this book starts off with uh, addressing the reader, saying who it's for, particularly for white readers, but also for people who either pass as white or are white adjacent. And I came to the realization that, wow, I am white adjacent. Uh, I am a 
uh, light-skinned Asian person. I have benefited from the model minority myth, uh, which we'll talk about in a future episode with a guest. Um, And so I was being sold this lie that, you know, I am accepted or I'm one of the good ones. Um, But that's not really the case when I read when I read this book. You know, I can't say that I'm anti-racist just because I'm not white. Um, So that was like one of my really big revelations, you know, just starting off right off first chapter in this book. Um, Jaslyn, do you what do you think of this uh, white adjacency or white passing like role in the system? I think it's um I think it's it it's there. I think a lot of people um have this idea that the lighter you are, the better it is, and it's unfortunately uh, uh, a source of thinking around the world. Mm-hmm. Um and I mean it's just another uh, effect of you know, the, the spread of the white supremacy throughout the world. It's not just here in America. It's it's permeated the world. So, um, I mean, you could see it in media. You could see, like, the preference for lighter-skinned actors and actresses, mm-hmm. and lighter-skinned, you know, news, people in the news. I mean, you don't see a lot of dark-skinned people. Mm-hmm. And it's it's changing, you know, a little bit, but there's still that, there's still that there. So, yeah, I think it's a real thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I had never really thought about myself or, you know, people in my community as being white adjacent until I read uh, this, read this book. So um, the next thing I wanted to talk about was uh, the loss of comforts, you know, and I felt that I have to face a lot of that now that uh, this book, you know, opened my eyes to it. I wasn't even like it almost happened in the background that I was um, making people comfortable around me without even knowing it, like feeding into that white supremacist thought so that I don't you know, feel uncomfortable or that people don't then um, treat me differently. You know, I said before, you know, I feel like I have assimilated or wanted to assimilate to the culture around me, to the white culture around me. Um, Not that my parents, my immigrant parents taught me that directly. It was more like the subtle um, things about, you know, fitting in, you know, speaking the language. Um, And so... You know, I've certainly been more aware of how I've let things slide, um, particularly like comments at work. You know, when a coworker, uh, when a coworker said the word plantation, you know, maybe in 2019, I would have just let that go because I don't want to say anything. Um, but after reading this book, you know, I felt the need to say, like, let's not use that word. And, you know, I think that the the person who said it was was very well receiving of that feedback, but I'm not sure everyone in that virtual call is like they might be thinking, oh, you know, Lisa is so sensitive, like it's just a word. And, you know, I'm coming to kind of terms with 
speaking up and not letting those things slide because in the past I certainly would have just been like, ah, it's not a big deal. Um, I just let it slide. Mm-hmm. Uh, and another thing I've kind of grasped from this book uh, was not wor- not catering to the white gaze, uh, G-A-Z-E. Uh, I know it sounds like G-A-Y-S on, on the recording, but not uh, catering to that. Uh, not tone policing others, uh, even as I think as a child of an immigrant, I would tone police my my dad in particular um, because he would come home maybe and tell me something that happened. And he's like, oh, it's because they're racist. And I would say, you know, calm down. It's probably not that it's just in your head. And and I think because I was second generation, second generation immigrant, and I was able to adapt to, you know, the language, the culture faster than he did, I felt like he wasn't getting it, like he was the, in the person in the wrong. And so I look back on those encounters and, you know, really wish I would have, like, not done that to my to my dad um, to really listen to him because I don't know why I was so adamant that racism didn't exist. Maybe because if I kept denying it, it would be true, but... You know, certainly not true. Were there any things that you did, like, when you were younger, especially when you were in that neighborhood that was mostly white, that you you look back and you think, you know, why did I do that? Was it just to appease my friends or to fit in? Do you have any specific instances of that? Um, I maybe, like, just... When we were out with the family, like I'd always try to make it a point to show everyone around me that I could speak English really well. Uh, and so, you know, we would I would try to minimize like the, the Chinese that we spoke outside of the house. Uh, and, you know, as a kid, like I said before, you know, I just wanted to fit in and I wanted to be different. But you know, it probably hurt my parents in some way that I wasn't proud to speak the language outside the house. Uh, and I think I also wanted us to have like an American looking home or, you know, do the things our neighbors were doing. You know, like, why does my dad have to like do this seemingly weird thing instead of uh, like planting certain plants instead of doing what the neighbors are doing, which is planting another kind of plant. I mean, that's like, that's not a racial thing. It's just like, I just didn't want to stand out. And so everything that my, I feel like my parents did made us stand out. It was only because they were just expressing their personality. Uh, you know, it's not like they were trying to be Chinese in terms of, you know, what their house looked like or whatever. Um, but definitely I was... I always tried to like minimize it when I was out. Like, don't worry, guys, I speak English. Stuff like so that. So do you think it's because I think you said your dad didn't really learn English mm-hmm. while he was here? You, you continue to speak Mandarin. Do you think that affected, you know, you wanted to overcompensate maybe? Yeah. Like if he had learned English, do you think you would have felt the need to prove you, you knew English as much? No, I think you're right. Like he... um 
when he came to the States, he was already much older. And so it's harder to learn a language when you're much older. Um, and he always worked in uh, Chinese restaurants, so he never had to learn English. So yeah, he didn't speak English at all. And I certainly felt like, yeah, I had to overcompensate for that. Um, and that carried on over into, uh, you know, it's not just like demonstrating my Americanness. I get, well, okay, I'll say this. To demonstrate my Americanness, it was about like accepting the language and accepting the culture. And in that, in that process, I accepted white supremacy without even understanding that I had already. Uh, and so when I read this book, I was really just really just educated on the system of white supremacy, how big it is, how it's in like every part of my life. And I didn't even realize that it was. Hmm. Yeah, I really wish everyone would read it because it, it just it taught me so much. Um, and certainly it's just the beginning. Uh, it's it's not the only book people should read, but I would really want everyone to read it just to like understand where they fit into the system, how they've uh, uh, contributed to the system without knowing it, how they benefited from it. You know, in the mm -hmm. in the first chapter, she talks, she asks the reader, like, "How have you benefited?" And I listed all these things on the blog that, like, I didn't really, I just thought like everyone experienced it, but that's not true. And yeah, it was really eye opening that first couple of uh, chapters. So do you think the language things is still affecting you today? Like if you have friends or coworkers in public and they want to speak their language, mm -hmm. maybe it's Mandarin instead of, instead of English. Do you, do you have a certain, you know, a certain tensing or do you feel like they shouldn't do that? How do you think that language thing is, is still affecting you? I think that it because it's been in because it's been my reaction to kind of um, yeah like you said like tense up or shy away or like be on alert you know like who's watching us speak uh, Mandarin I think I'm still uh, re I still would react that way to it negatively um, but after like reading the book and doing the journaling I think I well hopefully I'll become more aware of my reaction and change it you know learn to be proud of it. Um, instead of like uh, backing away from it. So, you know, I'm still I'm still working on that process because, you know, when you said it, I was definitely like, yeah, maybe they should not do that. But that's just me with my like ingrained train of thought and that I need to change it going forward. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, so the next topic uh, is optical allyship and uh, the the journaling prompts were talking about how, you know, you have uh, witnessed optical allyship. Did you look into it more? Um, so, you know, this brought me back to uh, 2013 when the Black Lives Matter movement, when it, when it would have started. Um, and so... You know, I would repost things, but not really make any comments on them. Uh, and then after, you know, Facebook and media stopped talking about it, I pretty much went silent on the on the issue. Um, and so I was I myself was practicing optical allyship at that time because, you know, I was showing like, hey, I'm sharing these posts. But like, I didn't really 
say anything behind the posts. And then after everyone else stopped talking about it, like I did as well. Um, Mm -hmm. And even in 2020, I was hesitant to say anything above sharing because I didn't want to like say something wrong or um, offend somebody who that somebody was. I, you know, it could be white, could be um, black. Uh, I just was like really not even trying to say much. Um, I think I'm trying to say more. You know, I, I do share a lot on our Instagram page. I do share a lot of other people's posts on their Instagram page. And so I'm trying to add my own commentary. And like if people, you know, want to say, hey, you're saying it wrong, like, please, you know, let me know. Um, I think a lot of the the white fragility is is still you know very 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 clear and present and i suffer from not wanting to you know call people out but i also think that people may not feel they can call me out and you know i do i want to be i want to learn you know i want to i want to be part of that mm-hmm. that that education that conversation So back in 2013, Mm -hmm. when you were sharing, why, why did you share or repost? Mm. I mean, I like, I think because I wanted to show people that I, I agree with the protests. I agree that, you know, shooting unarmed black people is wrong. But, you know, going back to our first episode, Impetus to Empathy, I, I was sharing because like intellectually, I understood these things were wrong, but I didn't really connect emotionally with that. You know, it was more like, of course, this is wrong, but like, what else am I going to do except just share it? Um, I think I stopped at the intellectually sharing the information instead of like, telling people that you know i these these things are morally wrong um and that we need to do more than just share so when you would share would you like look into all the details of the case would you be following it or is it you saw it and you're like that's that's bad let me share this real quick and move on yeah, I think it was, unfortunately, it was the latter. You know, I mean, I would read the article, I would share it, and then move on. Like, I didn't, did I didn't, um, I didn't, like, read books about, about what was happening. You know, the systems of uh, police brutality, um, the systems that kind of led to where we are. Like, I didn't, I didn't seek more education. And that's probably why... I didn't have anything to say about it because I didn't know what I didn't know. I didn't have the information to share because I didn't have it. Um, yeah. And I think the silence after 2013 was because, you know, I didn't really, I wasn't really motivated or generally affected by what was happening. You know, I was in, I was just like, it's not happening to me. So why should I care? Why should I educate myself? And, you know, I know now that that's not the right train of thought, but 
you know, I'm, I'm saying it, hopefully other people will hear it and say, you know, yeah, you're, you know, I agree with you. Like I was post, I was reposting just to repost, but like, I'm not really learning a lot. And I hope that I encourage people to learn more. I know it's big. It's a big topic. Uh, but we have to kind of start somewhere. So when Black Lives Matter, like first came on the scene, were you ever an all lives matter person? Like, did you ever, you know, buy into that? Or were you were you um, pretty on board with the Black Lives Matter uh, I statement? Don't, I don't think, I mean, I never posted all lives matter. I don't, in my heart, I was never all lives matter. Uh, I just think that I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't emotionally invested in Black Lives Matter. I was like, yes, Black Lives Matter is over here, kind of like in this, in this container over here. You know, I, I support their fight, but I don't need to get involved with that fight. Um, and like, I for me, I don't think that was enough to just intellectually believe that they were fighting the good fight like I I needed to be involved in terms of educating myself you know um, donating to them uh, educating the people around me about what that movement really or what that movement means to me now instead of just it's over there I don't need to Mm -hmm. think twice about it Someone yeah, else is already you said, doing it. Yeah, I think you mentioned earlier in an early episode, you didn't really talk to friends and family about these issues. Yeah. One on one, you just felt like you know posting on your social media page was mm-hmm. was good enough. Yeah, definitely. Were there any reactions to your posts or? Not really. Yeah. Back in, I mean. 2013 2020 not really much reaction except uh well let me go back in 2013 no reaction i don't remember any kind of conversation um in 2013 Uh, my family never brought it up if they you know saw an article Uh, but in 2020 i've certainly had conversations online about well mostly people who disagree with the things i'm posting you know, the all lives matter people, uh, blue lives matter people. Um, and it's good, but I don't think I'm going to win those people over. Mm. Um, but it has given me, oh, go ahead. mm -hmm. No, go ahead. I'm just saying as I've, I've become, so so with what happened uh with, with with the insurrection the coup at the capitol when that happened i was comfortable talking about it with you and our social justice club and with kyle but like i wasn't as comfortable talking about it with my family but i did initiate the conversation where i feel like in 2019 i wouldn't have you know i would have just mm. oh they're probably reading the news they're probably know what's happening but like i try to engage them in not just like the the act itself but like kind of like what the act meant and also the response what that meant um and so you know that's something i'm like i think 
in a previous episode, you've definitely challenged me to, to like uh, be a better, um, be a better voice, you know, within my small circle. So I am trying more these days to have those conversations. Um, and it's, this has been good. No, you know, nothing like they're not, they're definitely not all lives matter or blue lives matter. But I think that, uh, we still have a long way. We still have much to talk about. Hmm. You mentioned you are sharing and posting stuff on our social media, like the Racism Podcast mm-hmm. social media. But are you still posting on your personal social media? Um, like on my posts, I'm not. Uh, well, in, on Facebook, I am. So Facebook is is more where I do my just kind of anything I want to share. So I'll share news stories. You know, we talk about. Um, you know, unfortunately, when there's another shooting, uh, they just keep happening. I do share those. Um, but on my Instagram, my Instagram is, I don't share those things on my Instagram page. Uh, I think the people I want to affect most in the, in my sharing are like my family, my close family and friends and not, and they're not typically on Instagram. So that's why I don't share over there. Mm-hmm. And do you comment now? Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. I Comments along with the posting. I do. I do try to add my own words. Um, I think that I saw a lot of social media posts um, saying like, you know, you're, you're like kind of uh, commenting on people's sharing. Like, how can you just share without saying something? You know, what is no one knows what you feel if you don't say it and so I am trying to say more uh again if I say something wrong and you read my post anyone out there please let me know I'm open to it So one of the journaling prompts in terms of optical allyship, um, she asked us to think about, you know, how companies have displayed optical allyship and have I, you know, the reader, you know, took it at face value or dug deeper into that company. Um, And so, you know, I thought about Under Armour. Um, They have Misty Copeland as one of their ambassadors. I remember back in the gosh, was it 90s or early 2000s? Like CoverGirl uh, had Queen Latifah as I think their first non-white ambassador. Uh, and I thought, oh yeah, that's cool. I love Under Armour, I love CoverGirl, but I didn't dig deeper into their company policies. You know, were they hiring a diverse group of people to work in their companies? Were they treating them fairly? Like I didn't do that, so... I think in 2020, a lot of people were, I mean, a lot of companies, almost every company was coming out with a Black Lives Matter statement. And while that's all well and good, like the author challenged the reader to like not not take those at face value. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think um, one of the examples of kind of optical things is 
uh, I don't want to say the wrong company, but I think it's one of those food companies that does a lot of videos. Mm. And they have, you know, non-white chefs or personalities on their channel. And you, they, I think they put out a statement, you know, we're standing in solidarity, blah, blah, blah. But then it comes out that, um, you know, they're, they're not paying the non-white personalities as much, mm-hmm. uh, even though the non-white personalities are doing as much work or even more work than the white personalities. Mm-hmm. And so there's a big thing about that. And, you know, they had to publicly discuss, <laughs> you know, the inner workings of this company, even though they want to, on the outside, look like they're they're on the side of justice. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you have to look into how they're treating their employees are they walking the talk yeah so i think that's one good thing that comes out of movements like this is kind of airing out and shaking up things in the corporate world Mm. to get some awareness and you know hold people to account like you said this out you know on social media but inside you're not doing it and yeah. now I'm going to go on social media and tell everybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, no, I think so. that I read a lot of employees at big companies who came out after the Black Lives Matter statement and said, well, hey, like, you know, like this is what's actually happening inside the company. No, I think that's one great thing about social media is people can just share. Whereas if this was happening, you know, pre-internet, we it, it would be really, really hard to read these stories. So totally agree with you. So the next thing that the, uh, oh, I should say, I'm not really going in the order of the chapters here. I'm just kind of kind of pulling out um, topics that I really wanted to discuss. Um, so something that she talks about, which I really um, connected with, is that she asked the reader to identify their values um, because hopefully values are something that don't change. Um, and we can use our values to continue doing the work uh, because you know I think in in March May in May 2020 a lot of people were like you know yeah solidarity yeah you know truly mean this um, but then if people pretty much went silent a lot of people went silent on the issue um, and that's maybe because their values were not aligned um, with doing the work and supporting supporting one another and so you know my values are having compassion and empathy for others being generous generally connecting with others and i always remind my i try to remind myself of this when um, sharing stories on social media when talking with family and friends um, to always kind of remember that emotional connection with the change that needs to happen instead of like intellectually knowing it has to happen. So that's like for me and I think that's a really good point because like I really do hold these values and I don't think I've been expressing them in the way that I've been talking about uh, racial and social justice or not talking about them for much of my adulthood. Mm -hmm. 
she also talks about casting away contradictory values. So uh, we'll talk about this more maybe in another episode with uh, the mi- minority, the model minority myth is that I have for a long time had the value of merit of, of meritocracy where if you work hard enough, it'll pay off. Um, and, you know, that's a mentality, I think, at being an immigrant, uh, being a child of an immigrant, you know, seeing my parents work hard. I've always held the belief that everyone can work hard and quote unquote have the American dream. Um, I've, I've also, you know, accused people, whether, you know, internally or with words, quote unquote, pulling the race card. Uh, and that's one of the values that I have to cast away in order to continue the work. Um, not believing that everyone can, not everyone's hard work can pay off because of the systems in place that, uh, disenfranchise, uh, much of our population, uh, particularly our black and brown community. Uh, and also that... I'm going to have to quote unquote rock the boat um, and not be so concerned about the white gaze, not be so con- and not, not be not be so concerned that I might lose something in order for uh, everyone or more people to benefit. Um, and that uh, I can't place myself above other, uh, BIPOC. BIPOC is, um, is an acronym being used. Uh, Black, Indigenous, People of Color. Uh, Code Switch did a whole episode on whether or not people like this term. So I'm just going to use this term because that's what the author used in the book. But if you want, if you have another term, uh, just insert it where I say BIPOC. But, you know, not comparing myself to BIPOC and saying, well, I succeeded. So why didn't they succeed? Uh, I think that's one of the contradictory values I really need to look look deeper into why I have that value and why that value doesn't help. So can you give an example of pulling the race card when you've done it in the past? What does that look like? Uh, like if like if we're having a conversation, uh, and you're not me and you, just anyone. Uh, so if like me and another person are having a conversation, uh, and they say they were treated wrong at a store because they're, you know, non-white, you know, internally I've been like, well, are you just pulling the race card because you didn't get the service that you wanted? Like, do you think you need to be, uh, treated extra special because you're non-white? Um, I've definitely thought that like, you know, why do, and this is, this is of course is incorrect, incorrect thought is like, why do you as a person of color feel like you need to be treated better than a white person? And I've come to realize it's not that that person of color who shared this story with me wanted to be treated better. They just want to be treated equal, uh, to the white person so it like you know greeted greeted at a store having good customer service like those are just basic things that we should all have because we're human 
Um, and so I've definitely used it in that way. Um, if we're talking about why, like maybe on the news, if someone is saying how they weren't hired or, you know, they weren't treated fairly at work because they're, you know, they're a person of color, I'd be like, oh, you're pulling the race card again. Like maybe you weren't treated at work fairly because you weren't a good employee or maybe you weren't hired because you weren't the best candidate. Uh, but that's definitely not what I want to believe, not what I would believe now because I do, I have learned more about just the systems of discrimination and the systems of just like perception of people and how we all need, I need, you know, to change, to change that. Yeah. Like basically you're discounting that person's experience. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you know, you're, you're telling them that, you know, your feelings aren't valid mm -hmm. Uh, those things don't happen anymore. Probably yeah. you're thinking like, you know, those days are past. Mm -hmm. But I mean, it yeah, it definitely can still happens. And it reminds me of an episode of Insecure. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you watched that show. Mm -mm. It's a show mm -hmm. Issa Rae created for HBO. Um, great show. But uh, the one character was dating a black woman, was dating uh, an Asian mm -hmm. man. Mm hmm and um, they decided to go on vacation to Mexico and the Asian man and um, brought or invited his brother and and his brother's wife, mm. right? Mm -hmm. So they're all together, black woman, three Asian people. Mm. And so the black woman, they're at the pool and she goes to get a towel, right? Uh, she's in line, there's a white person in front of her. They ask for a towel, they receive the towel. She goes up and says, can I have a towel, please? And the person's like, where's your room key? Mm -hmm. She's like, um, I, you know, I don't have it. I'm in a swimsuit. I, I'm here. So obviously I'm at this hotel. Give me a towel. Yeah. And she's like, I can't give you a towel without a, without a room key. Mm -hmm. She's like, well, I just saw you give this white person a towel. So there's a whole thing. Mm -hmm. um, her, I think her boyfriend comes, shows the room key, gets the towel, and she walks off, and she's mad. So yeah. they're all talking about it, and she's like, you know, they did this. You know, I, it happens all the time. I'm black. They did it because I'm black. And her boyfriend's brother is like, really? I mean, maybe you just should have had your room key. You know, mm -hmm. just doing that, mm -hmm. pulling the race car thing. Like, maybe you're thinking about this all wrong if you just did, you know. So that kind of reminds me of that. Like, she's the one who went through the experience. She's the one who lives in her body all the time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you don't know what else uh, she's been through similar to that, worse than that. Mm -hmm. And you want to come and say, well, if you just did the right thing, everything would have been fine. Yeah. No, that, so, that, that, that happens yeah. every day. Um, right. Yeah. And, and for me, I've definitely done that to people more than I would care to, that I would like to admit um but you know I and also reminds me of when there was one time you so we were having a virtual meeting uh and you had uh, changed your hair and I mentioned that you changed your hair you know and and then I think later on the podcast you know you were like my hair doesn't need to be a topic of conversation right because mm -hmm. And I really took that to heart because 
in my mind, what's the, what, what's the harm? Or, you know, there's no big deal in talking about your hair when you change your hair. Mm-hmm. But to you, it's different. And I, I respect that you said it because I needed to hear that, you know, it's not just about me and my understanding of life. It's like coming to terms with some, what someone else's experiences are and respecting respecting that. Yeah. Well, I guess I, I want to clarify that a little bit. Mm. I think I think it's fine if your friends comment or give you a compliment and say, oh, your hair looks nice mm. today. Did you do something different? You know, something like that. Something that's complimentary or... Just noticing something like I did similar to you, although you were kind of flaunting it when you went blonde. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, look at my hair, I'm blonde now. But um, <laughs> but it's it's when I was in the office, there were certain people that would drop by my office and just look at my hair and say, oh, what what's the hairstyle for the week? Or, you know, mm. it wasn't it wasn't a notice and compliment. It was a. It was kind of like a, a gawking, mm. like, you know, her hairstyle changes every week. I'm going to go stare at it and, and comment. Mm-hmm. That's not cool. Yeah. But, you know, if I do have a nice hairstyle, I enjoy compliments. <laughs> okay. Why not? <laughs> yeah, but it's just the mm-hmm. weird, you know, othering of, you know, I guess your hair doesn't change from day to day. Mine does, <laughs> but you don't have to, like, make it a... Thing, mm. unless you think it's beautiful so. <laughs> and you can tell if that's what which one they are yes yeah, yeah. Uh, nevertheless i am i do appreciate you talking about this um because i don't want to i need to catch myself if ever i am doing it as a disrespectful like gawking manner i don't want to I don't want to be that person. Um, so I do appreciate you talking about it. Uh, so let's talk about um, speaking over or for BIPOC instead of amplifying their voices. Uh, this is another topic that stuck out to me. Um, so in the book, she's talks. the author talks about... Uh, like not uh, speaking over people. So not saying what you think is on their mind. And at first I was like, well, why wouldn't people want me to stand up for them? You know, why why can't I use my voice uh, to help someone? You know, and I realized, oh my God, I'm trying to like white savior people here. Uh, and, you know, the example I thought of, uh, Jaslyn, is you were talking about this um, council, this diversity council we have at work and how, you know, if I knew like how, how people were selected because she had, because you had heard that like it had already been formed. And, you know, my first reaction was, well, I could go ask someone for you. Uh, and, you know, after reading this book, I was like, well, hold on, maybe Jasmine doesn't need or want me to ask for her you know she just wants me to listen and answer her question so I don't know if you remember this exchange if um Mm. 
you felt like maybe Lisa was trying to white savior me. <laughs> I I thought it was interesting. I mean, I I could ask just as well as you. <laughs> we both have access to the same email <laughs> system. But um Yeah, yes. Yeah. I didn't see it completely like that as like, oh, maybe she doesn't want to ask. I don't know why I wouldn't want to ask. I did ask, but mm-hmm just trying to be nice but I think a better example of that that you were involved in is mm-hmm. when your Asian American group did a Juneteenth program mm-hmm. at our job mm-hmm. touted as the first Juneteenth program at our job which I don't like because mm-hmm. a non-black I mean Juneteenth is specifically black like no other group can claim this holiday you can celebrate with us Mm -hmm. but like you know no other group went through that specific thing so um and I think when it popped up and it popped up like two days before it happened and you asked me like is this is this offensive you know should we do this like you when you ask a question like that then I think you already know the answer mm. um but it went on anyway and I just didn't understand why y'all decided to do that without any um participation from the black group I didn't get that yeah I I don't want to make excuses here because I fully accept the responsibility of that event happening, even though, like you said, I asked you about it. And, you know, I also am sorry that I asked you about it in terms of like putting maybe too much pressure on you to you know, say what needed to be said. I I don't think I should put that pressure on you as a friend and and a colleague. Uh, I should have listened to my gut. And I think that's kind of how I've been for for all all of my life is just going along with the majority. You know, if... If a couple of, if most of the people on the board were like, yeah, let's do this. This is a good idea. We should do this. Then I didn't want to be like the dissenting voice. Uh, and that was, that's ho- I hopefully not going to happen again. Um, because yes, you're right. I, uh, we shouldn't have hosted this event. Uh, and you also, and I didn't attend the event, but I think you said, well, someone said during the event, like, this is a great, this is a great allyship or something, right? Allyship? Yeah, I heard that. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, roll my eyes. Mm-hmm. And I, I <laughs> um, totally get Allyship it. is not, is not taking over. Mm-hmm. It, allyship is not, you know, is listening, not saying they you know nobody's listening so Mm. we're gonna say something yeah for them Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. 
yeah, I totally get that now. Um, you know, is is an apology uh, in in is an apology the next thing we should do? Or I mean, you don't have to answer this, but you know, I would like to either try to make it right or moving forward try to do right. Um. Um, I don't know. I mean, knowing that, you know, you you thought about it and you shouldn't have done that, that's good. I don't know if maybe a statement should go out. It's been a long time <laughs> mm. since the event, but mm. yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the next step is. Yeah, I, mean, I, I you know, I, I don't want to seem like I am pat myself on the back here or anything you know this is just me thinking that I should have this discussion internally with my group you know and explain to them why this show of allyship wasn't actually might this show of allyship wasn't the show of allyship that it was that you intended to be and it's not just about your intentions you know my group's intentions about the way that it impacted people and I think it was off um, and we could do better in terms of showing real I think that's good. Talking within your group is good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Speak. I mean, you say you, you didn't want to be the dissenting voice, but yeah, speak up now within your group. Just bring it up. Yeah. Yeah, because they certainly haven't forgotten that we did the event and, you know. Yeah, they're probably still patting themselves <laughs> on the back and saying, man, we are so good, so mm, good. Mm. Yeah, they need to understand not so good. Yeah, I hear you. And thank you for sharing. Uh, otherwise, I would have not given it any more thought. Uh, and that's definitely my my need to keep growing is to not just like let things happen yeah okay so the next topic i wanted to talk about is weaponizing bipoc against one another uh, and when i read this journaling prompt um, in the book it reminded me of this netflix documentary uh, that Jaslyn and our movie group watched, um, which is the documentary on the Rodney King beating in LA in the 90s. And I rem—I was a teenager when this happened. Um, and I remember what came out of it, what stuck out, or what I remember most from it was when Rodney King um, did a uh, news conference and he gave a speech and he used this line, you know, why can't we all just get along? And well, as a, as a teenager, I remember that line the most, but not anything about his violent beating uh, and not about, you know, the conflict between the Korean American community in LA and the black community and the shooting of a 15-year-old uh, African-American girl, Latasha Harlins. And so, and then the, the shop owner who shot her was a Korean-American woman, and she, and she got off on the charges. 
Um, and so, you know, thinking back to my teenage self, what was I thinking when I watched this happen on the news is I was weaponizing um, BIPAC against each other. You know, I was like, uh, you know, why are, th- why are they looting? You know, all these like Asian American stores are being looted, poor Asian American shop owners. And even in 2020, a lot of my Asian American friends were sharing on Facebook, like, why, why are they looting all oh, like this person, you know, lost their business. Uh, this person didn't have insurance and now they can't rebuild. And like, I think when I was a kid, I was thinking I would agree, I agreed with them, you know, like, why are you looting and, and destroying these people's lives? But I think about it now and I, I definitely, you know, feel sad that people are losing their businesses, but I do also understand why it needed to happen you know and like in these tensions between the asian american community and black community is not something that's like happening overnight it's like been going on for like a really long time and i you know i feel for the the these asian americans they tend they they open up a lot of these like corner stores in predominantly black neighborhoods and yet they don't you know, I'm learning um, that they don't treat that community as theirs. You know, they still like, you know, watch them in the store. They're still very suspicious of them. They have overly inflated prices, maybe, I think I've heard somewhere. Um, And so I'm learning to unite with, with BIPOC instead of, instead of pitting them against each other, like not, like we're, we all suffer in different ways. I think the black community and the indigenous community suffer more than other people. Oh, and also the brown community suffer more than say the Asian Americans, East Asian Americans who are um, lighter skinned, who have this like model minority, you know, myth hanging above them. Uh, yeah, so I'm really coming to terms with how I see the news, how I interpret what's been reported um, and not always taking the side of the Asian American. Like, I don't need to, even though I am Asian American. Yeah, that documentary was really good. It kind of um, illuminated all the issues going on in that community, and I think it's true. A lot of Asian Americans, like you said, they, you know, they, they, kind of are white adjacent or they they see themselves more on that side than on black side because you know there's there's really two sides there's white and black Mm. black you can't hide right Mm. but some people will align themselves with white supremacy over anti-racist thinking and so they they open up these stores in black communities and they but they don't they don't see themselves as you know like them they they probably think themselves as better mm-hmm. and they look down on the community even though that's where their shop is mm-hmm. and i mean you see that in you know police officers they come into the black community but they don't live there mm-hmm. teachers they teach in black communities but they don't live there so they don't really have respect and they kind of look down on these people when they really should i mean yeah that story with the 15 year old girl is so sad mm-hmm. 
um, and how she got off. It's just, it's terrible. Yeah. So, yeah, I was, you know, when we watched that movie, I was kind of waiting for your reaction. Mm. <laughs> um, because I didn't know about the the Koreans, like, picking up their guns and shooting in the neighborhood, like, mm-hmm. shooting back. And I was like, wow, I didn't, I didn't know they did that. Um, so, yeah, I was kind of waiting for your reaction to see, not which side you were on, but what you thought about the whole thing. Um, and you said you understood, like, th- you know, these communities have been oppressed so much that, you know, it just kind of exploded and, so, can you talk more about your your thoughts on the uh, the actions of the Korean American community, um, and kind of trying to protect their property against you know the riots and everything? Yeah, it was uh, it definitely the documentary definitely exposed more, like you said, than what. I certainly remember as a kid watching the news. You know, I understand that people want to protect their property. Um, I don't believe in gun violence in terms of shooting people, you know, unarmed in battle, just like in your neighborhood. I don't think I, I don't side with the Asian American community in this in this instance um, because I do understand their their racism toward uh, the black community and the fact that they do business there. It's like why, like I don't understand. Like uh, the reason they're there probably is because the rent is cheap. Um, and, uh, black, some black neighborhoods are food deserts. So, you know, they're offering food in their stores. So it's kind of like, you know, I can get my rent dirt cheap. I'm selling things that people need and they'll pay the prices because they can't get it anywhere else. And I think it's just like really sleazy. Um, and the fact that like what you said, like they probably look down on the community that they service and like, like, what is, what is that? I, like, I don't agree with that practice. Um, but, like, the, the when they were taken... I was kind of shocked, too, that they were, you know, they were, like, calling up their family, like, come on down to the store. We had to defend our store because the police weren't there. Um, and we... And the documentary also showed why the police weren't there. Like, they... They didn't want to be there, I think. You know, mm. there's like, well, just let things happen. You know, they'll, it'll, it'll, someone bullets will run out or whatever. They, they weren't, um, they weren't gonna, they didn't want to risk their lives to mm-hmm. settle anything in that neighborhood. Um, and unfortunately, I think it also brought about this idea that, or the police. You know, they're like, well, we didn't have riot gear, or you know, like we're not equipped, and it's like. Did they use that as an excuse to then get riot gear? Mm. You know, that was really telling too. Um, And now 
they have riot gear and the situation's not better. Uh, yeah, so, you know, I think that's a very... That, I mean, I don't want to say extreme because it's not like it doesn't happen all the time. But like in my everyday life, I can also see how I could also see uh, how I've, you know, weaponized BIPAC against each other, just like in my way of thinking, you know, um, like I said, when I was 15 or when I'm not 15, I forget what, how old I was when I when I was uh, when this happened. But, you know, just thinking like, um. Just thinking that like one of these communities is better than the other and shouldn't be, you know, looted against or whatever. Um, like that was just me like placing people in like this hierarchy, just like white supremacy has placed us in this hierarchy and me believing that this hierarchy was true mm. uh, is, is, a, is a train of thought, is a way of thinking that I'm trying to stop myself from having. Mm-hmm. do you see this the same kind of thinking now like between i don't know if you know any asian american shop owners or you know business owners that service black or brown communities or when you talk to your family do you think there's still that that thinking of you know we're above them or we're not like them. Uh, so I don't know any shop owners uh, personally. Uh, I do remember a friend sharing on Facebook, like these sab, these sob stories of like you know, this Asian man lost his business in you know this city, and you know this Asian person didn't have insurance, so now they can't rebuild, um, and trying to engage those friends and in, in saying like you know I'm sad for these businesses but they're not like the only people who have lost in this um, not just in terms of you know losing property but uh, for the for the for the black community who you know has lost a whole lot more than just one business and you know not being so like short-sighted kind in in that in that this loss is not really what this movement is about um and in terms of like you know our i think that i think that we still think that we're different um and i haven't had that that deep of a conversation yet to kind of feel out how you know my family and friends feel about their place in in the hierarchy uh and i think i'm moving toward that but i haven't really gotten that deep yet but just seeing what people post i can guess where they are Mm-hmm. 
stay tuned for part two of the rest of this conversation about me and white supremacy. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Racism Podcast. Before you go, be sure to like or subscribe wherever you're listening to stay up to date on new episodes. And please let us know if you've read and journaled to me and white supremacy. We'd love to hear about it. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter at Racism's Podcast. And please check out our blog, racismspodcast.wordpress.com. It's got Lisa's blog entries on me and white supremacy. I also posted a couple of blog posts. I'll be doing that more in the future. But check it out and let us know what you think. Peace, everyone. Be safe.